So Clara, is the author's last name pronounced St. John or Sinjin? That is an amazing question. Let's, you should ask, let's our ask the audience. Or our English teachers. Our English teachers. Hello and welcome to One More Chapter, a podcast where we'll talk about books that moved us for better or for worse. I'm Clara. And I'm Claire. And we're your hosts. So today we're discussing Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, a stunning book about the passage of time and the humanity that makes it meaningful. All right. So before we get started, we just have a brief announcement or housekeeping, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we're being corporate about it, (laughs) that we did launch a Patreon, and we are posting to it. Yeah, we're doing our first, well, by the time we post this, I'm sure our first Patreon-only episode will have gone up. Yes, so we're talking about Persuasion, Jane Austen. I feel like it is her last book. Is that correct? You don't just feel it. It is true. Okay, we are going to be doing a bonus episode about Persuasion. Mm -hmm. Um, So join us there if you're looking for more content from us, um, and that will be up soon. Yeah, I mean, it's already up by the time you listen to this. Oh, 100%. Yes. It will be up. That's a promise that we're making to ourselves it's and to you. It's up. It's there. It Go. It's there. Become a patron. <laughs> a Patreon on our Patreon. You got it. So here is the opening summary mm-hmm, paragraph mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the publisher for Sea of Tranquility. The award-winning, best-selling author of Station Eleven and The Glass Hotel returns with a novel of art, time travel, love, and plague that takes the reader from Vancouver Island in 1912 to a dark colony on the moon 500 years later, unfurling a story of humanity across centuries and space. What do you think about that? Okay. After reading the book. I mean, I think it's really good. I feel like I got thrown with plague because what she really does talk about is COVID, the pandemic. And I was like, oh man, I'm not ready for this to be fictionalized, especially because a lot of it is like mother and daughter and like, what family life looks like when you're in quarantine. Mm. And I was like, triggered, triggered. Yeah. But however, the rest of it's fine. And I really liked this book. It was so lovely. So I read it when it came out last year. Okay. And this reread was like beautiful. Okay. But I didn't mind the word, the the usage of the word plague. It was like related to COVID, but also like follow-up. Right. And she does talk about the play, the smallpox plague. Yeah, exactly. The the epidemic. Yeah. So like a pandemic is a plague. We just don't use the word because it's so. Well, yeah. I mean, a pandemic can be caused by a plague. Mm, But I guess. Yeah. yeah, But like a plague is a sickness caused by a bacteria. And then like a COVID was like a respiratory thing. Okay. Okay. That's fair. So, you know, it's like they are different. And she does talk about both. But I was like, oh, gosh, this is like. Yeah, it was very triggering. And I think we'll talk about this. But I think that's why it was also quite popular. Yeah. Because it's so relevant to current events. I thought it was a pretty appropriate summary. Like, it doesn't misrepresent the stories within the book. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't give too much away. But it makes you want to read it, in my opinion. Yes. So how did we come into this book? So this one, finally, <laughs> I had seen on Instagram and I was really into it, wanting to read it because I just like futuristic kinds of things because I'm a giant nerd. But then when I started reading the reviews, people that liked her other books didn't like this one as much. So I was glad that I read this one first because I really quite liked it. Absolute fools. So I read this last year, obviously, as I just said, and I read it because I really like the author, Hilary St. John. So It used to be Hilary St. John Mandel, but she got a divorce Mm. last year and is no longer using Mandel. So we won't either, even though on the book, 
you have both last names. I think she writes about human nature and what it means to coexist with each other so beautifully. I read Station Eleven a few years ago on my brother's recommendation, actually. Shout out to Pedro. Mm -hmm. And that was my first introduction to her. My like this reread of Sea of Tranquility was honestly more enjoyable Mm -hmm. than the first time I read it. So yeah, it was was good. It was very beautiful. All right. So Clara, tell us a little bit about Miss mm. St. John or Sinjin. Miss Sinjin. So she is a Canadian author mm-hmm. in her, in her mid-40s who has now written six books, most popularly Station Eleven, The Glass Hotel, and now Sea of Tranquility. And she studied dance, actually, and worked as a dancer for a few years before working at a slew of corporate jobs like research grant writing. And okay, just like okay. she worked at a law firm for a while while writing her first few novels. And she blew up with Station Eleven, a 2014 novel about a pandemic that unravels the world. It was obviously very prescient and it was popular even before COVID, although COVID catapulted it to new Mm -hmm. heights. Like Mm -hmm. it was sold out. If you haven't seen Station Eleven on HBO, Mm -hmm. I would highly, highly recommend. I have heard really good things about it. It is one of the best shows that I have seen in recent years. Oh, wow. Like, honestly, a lot of people... So if you watch The Last of Us, mm-hmm. that little... Mm-hmm. I have not watched it, but... Yeah. I watched it a little bit, but the third episode was, like, one of the most popular ones. Mm-hmm. And if you enjoyed that, and you, you'll know what episode I'm talking about if mm-hmm. you watched The Last of Us, then you will absolutely love Station Eleven. Okay. It's basically about learning to live in a society after the world ends okay. a little bit. So beautiful, beautiful book. Yes, very dystopian. All right, so let's do a spoiler break. All right, for the remainder of the episode, we'll be discussing the book in its entirety. There will be spoilers. If you don't want spoilers, this is your sign to hit stop and come back after you've finished the book. In three, two, one. Woo! Okay, should we do our own book summary? We should. I'm going to let you do it, Clara. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a little bit difficult to summarize because... It involves three main characters, Olive Lewin, an author in the 2200s mm-hmm. whose latest book about a world-ending pandemic became mega popular, Gaspary Jacques Roberts, a relatively lazy semi-bureaucrat living in a lunar colony in the 2400s mm-hmm. who becomes a time traveler, mm-hmm. and Edwin St. John, Sinjin, a second son turned remittance man exiled to Western Canada by his English family. Wait, so since he's in English, is it Sinjin? I think so. I honestly, although that's his last name. So I'm just, I'm so perpetually confused. And okay, also, sidebar. Sinjin, can we do a little we sidebar? Are ready to talk about? Because we, after our Jane Eyre episode, we had a little discussion, right, on the podcast about cousin St. John. Right. His name is St. John. I mean, it's spelled St. John. It is St. John. And several, several people wrote to us. Did you know it's pronounced Sinjin? No, I didn't. We are editorializing the tone a little bit. I'm sure many of you meant it in a very lovely way. But you corrected our pronunciation, which is fair. I love a good correction. But apparently in an English setting, English is in from the UK. It's St. John is Sinjin. Which is so questionable to me. Sorry. (laughs) It really is. So anyways, Edwin St. John or Sinjin is one of the three main characters. So going back to our little summary, (laughs) vignettes involving these three characters intertwined through sheer humanity, but also very intentional time travel make up the book. 
Gasparri becomes a time traveler working with his government's Time Institute because they're investigating whether reality is random or a simulation. Right. They're we've, trying to find out whether they live in a simulation. Yeah, we've all been there. There have been instances throughout history in the book involving all of Edwin and a couple of secondary characters where a sort of glitch in reality has been recorded. And Gasparri's job as a time traveler is to look into these glitches and these people's experiences where the fabric of reality seems to have slightly ripped. So that is the technical question that the book asks. But the more meaningful one to me and where the book really shines is, okay, say the reality we live in is a simulation. What about it? Like, so what? Does that change the way we live, the way we experience love, relationships, heartbreak, success, failures, careers? Like, not really. Mm -hmm, The experience mm -hmm. you have is the experience you have, whether it's real or not. So when Gasparri goes back in time to interview Olive, for example, he knows because he's from the future that she will soon die in a pandemic from her time period. So he intentionally warns her, even though he has been explicitly ordered not to. And like is figuring out the key to time and reality more important than the way we relate to people, the ways we can care for people. And to me, like Sea of Tranquility concludes, no, it's not more important And, you know, St. John is more interested in exploring humanity at the end of the world, whether that is a wholesale finale in a pandemic situation in Olive's case, or kind of a more retail ending. So being exiled from your home in Edwin and then Gasparri's case, the author focuses on the relationships between people and between people in the natural world and how those relationships undo and remake themselves in the face of chaos and catastrophe. And to me, it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so Clara, what did you like about this book? Oh, everything. So this is really one of my favorite books, 2022. I think St. John, the author, writes so meaningfully without being sanctimonious about her plots or her characters. And it's, you know, it would be so easy to be self-righteous and sanctimonious when you're writing about humanity and the end of the world. But she doesn't overwrite. This book is about 250 pages. And to me, there isn't like a single extra word in Mm -hmm. there. It's like a very efficient use of language. There's no fluff. Every passage, every vignette, every character just blends together so beautifully, even when the stories Mm -hmm. just barely interact. Yeah, I mean, I think what I like is actually pretty similar because I love how St. John, the author, explores all types of relationships. So here you have mother and child, we have friendships, we have siblings, we have neighbors. But I also like the readability of this Mm -hmm. book. I'm a big like futuristic sci-fi fan, but the book's get very clunky because you have to spend all of this time building the world and building the future. And this book is very readable. It's very short. Yeah. It's not too long at all. So, you know, if you are a person that likes the idea of futurism, but wants something that's more relationship based, this would be a good alternative. Yeah, because you do read the summary. You're just like, oh, this is going to this is going to be deep. Like it's going to be a little bit too intense. It's going to take me forever to read. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't take too long. It's a it's a very readable book. Yeah. Agreed. What what did you hate? about this Um, book what did you not like as much yeah no okay so for me I didn't hate this but again because I am a big kind of sci-fi futuristic reader so I had read Cloud Atlas which I forgot about it was like one of my favorite books back when it came out and I forgot about it actually until I started reading this book and I thought oh this is so similar to a book that I have read before and so 
this book is very similar to Cloud Atlas for Cloud Atlas readers. So for example, the both of the books open with a naive sea traveler going to a new world. There's also a composer in both books. There's an author in both mm-hmm. books. There's interwoven timelines in both books, which are nearly identical. So because the books are so similar, it's almost so easy to compare them. So the issue, though, that you will find with this book, if you have read Cloud Atlas, is for those of you who have read Cloud Atlas in the future, they have like a whole new language that the author writes. It's like it's a whole new world. There's a whole new way of living, which the author doesn't really do in this book. You know, the language is very similar in 2200 as it is in 2400. They don't have that new language. And they don't really explore the new world as much. I feel like this this book, Sea of Tranquility, is most comfortable in the past and in the present. However, I wouldn't say that's a reason not to read this. But if you are a Cloud Atlas fan, do try to not spend the whole book comparing the two because then I feel like you'll come out not liking this one because they just take a different approach. Cloud Atlas focuses a lot on world building, whereas this book focuses more on relationship building. And then I also just discovered that there's a third book, if you want to shout out and read. It's called How to Live Safely in a Science Fiction Universe by Charles Yu. So did you read that one? I didn't, but now I just I added it to my card. It's it's on my Kindle now. Oh, wow. I haven't read Cloud Atlas or How to Live Safely. But yeah, I feel like there's the author doesn't really lean into the future of it all. And like yeah. the world that is the future outside of the relationships. Right. Yeah. So yes. yeah, I think that's so true. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, Cloud Atlas like really takes it to a whole new level. Because, you know, if you think about how we speak now versus 600 years ago, the author does say, okay, there needs to be a whole kind of new language. And he names it. And it's it's all very kind of sci-fi you know and yeah. they have names like dementors and all of that kind of stuff right. this book doesn't do do that yeah it's in the future but i don't think it's sci- i wouldn't categorize it as sci-fi right it really doesn't lean into that at all like no, yeah. which is weird because there's time travel there's like a lunar colony right so it could you could categorize it as sci-fi but i yeah. think those are such secondary developments right yes yeah that it's just impossible for right. me to call it a sci-fi book no yeah i wouldn't really it's call silly. it that. yeah yeah but hmm. but you know i think the reason why the book was so popular was obviously we have the futuristic dystopian aspect of it all that's been popular for a while and then you you add a pandemic-related element to it, especially after St. John's last popular book, Station Eleven, and it's already a novel, pretty predisposed to success. Mm-hmm. For me, and Claire, you talked about this a little bit, but I think the efficiency with which St. John writes is key to its popularity. She yes. really just makes the most of every word. She's not superfluous with her writing at all. She's not melodramatic, and she makes her narrative so easy to digest, despite the themes being themselves a little bit esoteric I mean for me it's a really good balance of just like plot and storyline and character development and character description I actually have a question for you yeah what did you think about the olive character I liked her I enjoyed her I despise her no I didn't despise her (laughs) there are characters I I despise (laughs) I did not despise her but I did feel like she was a strange 
very obvious author self insert. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Oh, and, for and sure. she also very like, so there's a lot of characters in this book. And I just kept Olive. I was like, girl, I'm kind of tired of hearing about her. <laughs> and I was like, let's move on. I just wanted to know your opinion on Miss Olive because it was like, okay, I can tell that this is just you navigating the pandemic. It was another woman with a daughter. It did seem like her husband was on the parenting light track. Yeah. He kept calling her. Yeah. And I was like, is she venting? I get it. I enjoy it. But I'm also... I feel like often authors do that where they create a character that's a little bit of stand-in for themselves. I don't really mind it as much. And for me, it was interesting, right? Because Olive is basically touring when we meet her, Mm -hmm. right? She's touring for her book. And she... She has written books about pandemics, about a pandemic, and now a new pandemic has arisen in the world, Mm -hmm. so she's extra popular because of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Obviously, calling back to Emily St. John's popularity after COVID came out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) came out like it's a movie, after COVID started, and she had written Station Eleven. So, obviously, it's a stand-in for the author, but I don't know. I found the trajectory of that character really interesting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just... You know, the idea, there's also a lot of just being a woman and a mother while also working. You know, people asking her, oh, who's watching your kids? Stuff like that, that I think is very, I don't know, I found it interesting. It was, but it was also supposed to be in 2200. The one thing I felt, again, being a Cloud Atlas fan was like, the 2200 pandemic was a copy and paste of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, we have not made any, like healthcare progress yeah you when she was like oh i'm putting on masks and i was like oh we still just have 2200 we don't have like a different way of handling a pandemic and like the the ambulances i was like this would have been a good opportunity for me to show maybe what a pandemic outbreak could look like in the future yeah it was a missed opportunity to kind of harp on the futurism again this is why this book even though it says it takes place in the future, it's not very futuristic. It is more about kind of a woman on tour right now. Yeah. Although, to be fair, we had a pandemic with, like, the Spanish flu a hundred years ago, Mm -hmm. right? And nothing really changed from then to now. I don't think that now we're even that much better prepared to handle a pandemic like COVID than we were when COVID came out. Like people have very short memories when it comes to public health scares and public health emergencies. So honestly, for me, that's like pretty realistic because when you have inefficient institutions. Right. But she didn't make a commentary on that. Yeah. Like she didn't like mention like, oh, we have not learned anything. It was more like, oh, this is an outbreak because she did have moments and she was talking to avatars during meetings and you could tell that they were sick because they were glitching. Remember? Yeah, like the mute button. She was like, oh, they kept glitching, but I think it wasn't a glitch. It was was a mute button that was being pressed so he could cough cough. because he was sick. Right. Yeah. Because it's like she she tried, but then it was like, oh, no, we're back to like, I put on like a bunch of masks. I was like, oh, and then I don't know. There were just moments when I was like, I want you to just take it like just one step further to maybe just explore maybe what it could look like. Yeah. Even if it was people saying over the intercom, you remember that TikTok trend when you sneezed and like someone came and was like, (laughs) we detected a cough, please quarantine. (laughs) Even just something like that. I was like, there's just a couple of moments when I was like, oh, like this could have been a futuristic, but 
I wanted your opinion about all of this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it also shows how much technology evolves more than like public health, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. W- what do we prioritize as a society? Right, is yeah. it public health initiatives or is it technology so we can work efficiently from yes, home yes, during yeah. a public health emergency? Right. Yeah. And yes, I think it's but, clear which one yeah. is more prioritized. Right. Yeah. Even though she didn't, she kept calling like, we still had phones and she just called them devices. I know. That was funny to me. I when, was like, no, I there know. has to be something more. Either call it a phone or call it something else. Yeah. I was a little bit annoyed <laughs> at the devices thing. Yeah, I was like, okay, this is slightly lazy, but yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> I know. I was like, no, there needs I to be. I know. <laughs> that was a little bit annoying. I know. Okay, so who are you kiss, marry, killing? Ooh, this is exciting. I think you should go first. Oh, okay. I'm going to kiss Zoe Roberts. So that's Gasberry's sister. I loved her. And I was so disappointed that we didn't get more from her. Yeah. And I love how the author did a really good job of showing what it's like to be an eldest child, particularly Mm -hmm. an eldest daughter after the loss of a parent. And then I'm going to marry Edwin St. Andrew. No? Or St. John? Isn't it St. John? Yeah. Okay. Is it is it St. John? Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to marry Edwin. Just because I loved him. He was my favorite. Um, yeah. I mean, I just love how well written he was. I loved um, his story of getting kicked out and why he got kicked out. Kind of talking about social justice issues as a colonizer during the height of colonization i was like oh you know that i know was like calling out his like indian his mother mother. yeah (laughs) like ooh, edwin yeah you're getting sent to canada yeah okay (laughs) and i just like how she did it and i like the way that it's presented in the book yeah and then i'm killing efren i just didn't uh, i did not like him so efren is a tree doctor turned he's an arborist but he works at the time Time Institute. institute i felt him a to be gratuitous and i just did not like him yeah, he gave off very bad vibes. Very yeah, it bad was just vibes. too, he was just too obviously a bad guy. I expected him to I be know. like, wah, ha, ha, yeah, oh, my pretty. White cat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One million dollars. Oh, man. Um, okay, I also really like Zoe. Just mm-hmm. the eldest daughter energy was very strong in her. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think I would kiss Edwin. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was struggling. This was a man who was just struggling on a near constant basis, Mm -hmm. just being exiled and then being like, well, I guess I'm in Canada now. Mm -hmm. What does one do in Canada Mm -hmm. in the early 1900s? And he just kind of roamed Western Canada for years. Before he got sent to war. Before he got sent to war and then got hurt and then went insane from like the shell shock, basically. Yeah. And immediately died. From a From the flu. Yeah, from a flu insane but his struggle is like relatable to me not the kind of struggle obviously i <laughs> you did, did not, not fight a trend war. World war one but just the the near constant basis of it all i think i would marry gaspery he seemed like a very chaotic man mm-hmm. which appeals to me specifically you know make of that what you will okay, okay. um and I, I i support killing ephraim i think i yeah, did not enjoy just- him yeah. He I, was so secretive. I feel like he always had like a secondary furtive reason for doing things. Yeah. And that just scares me. Like yeah. make your motivations well known. 
Yeah, I, and I just felt he was from the second we met him on the stairs, I was like, oh, he's going to be the bad guy. Yeah, and he like convinced um, Gaspari to join the Time Institute mm-hmm. and become a time traveler, even though his sister Zoe did not want him to. No, very for vocally. obvious reasons. I know, and then he messed it all up. <sighs> okay, what right. moment? Oh, so this is not, and this is not actually in the book. I didn't have a gasp moment from the narrative, but I was just researching, and this book was shortlisted for one of the 100 best gay and lesbian novels ever by the Triangle Publishing Group. And I I just feel like we have to set a better tone for what is award-winning gay fiction. Because I, like, no. I mean, at the end of the day, Gasberry was in a straight relationship. He's our, He is our main. Mm-hmm. Zoe has a nameless, faceless lover who maybe is a woman. Yeah. So... I think so. We have one like main queer character, right? Who? Who is the main one? So we have, oh, Edwin. Edwin yeah. like falls in love with a man, but, but during we the don't war. know his name. We don't know his name, but we whose names do we know? Like this I isn't know, but like, like a very. These are three characters, yeah, and we know Edwin's name, but we name. don't ex- explore their relationship in any meaningful way. It's a very much of a call out. Like we don't even know that Edwin is gay until. He's confessing on the park bench that he falls in love with that man. Yeah, I don't like maybe it doesn't reach the level of like best gay and lesbian novels. Like definitely. Yes. But I think that says more about how many novels could well, yeah, no, that's be what I'm written. saying. We, yeah, we have got to do better. Yeah. But I don't think this was like a super like specifically heteronormative book. Like I think there were just like a spectrum. Yeah, I feel like. There has to be a requirement. If you're going to win an award, at least examine closely one of the relationships and don't make them an aside. Because we do get one relationship that is explored and it's the straight one, Gasberry and inexplicably that woman from the hotel. I was not expecting them to get together. Well, because they knew each other as children. Yeah. Right. That was kind of a cute story. I was I was I felt that was very random. It was random. It was also sad to me because they found each other again when they were like in their 60s. -hmm. And that always makes me a bit sad because Mm -hmm. you like it's not that you're out of time, but you could have had so much more time. I doubt they would have worked out, though, since they didn't have any chemistry. I didn't get any. That's true. Yeah, Love but vibes. they had so much in common by, like, the end of their lives. Yes. Because they had both time travel. They both grew up in the same place. Right, on the same so block, like, right? They were neighbors? Yeah, yeah. So it made sense at the end that they ended up together, but agreed that they wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah I feel like if they had gotten earlier. together in their 30s, it, I don't I yeah. think they would have broken I feel up. like Gasparri was just, like, a shit show for the majority of his life. Yeah, he was... Con- would not have been good boyfriend material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like my gas moment, mm-hmm. actually. Sorry, getting no, back yeah, to that. Yours, sorry. Yeah. I think one one of my favorite parts of the, of the book was just Gasparri's relationship with with Zoe, mm. with his sister. And like when he fucks up with a timeline and he realizes that like, he'll have to abandon her no matter what, mm-hmm. because he'll either have to escape, right, and mm-hmm. go to another time or stay and face the consequences, which means that he's like going to jail of some sort. And he realizes that he'll leave her alone. And Hilary St. John writes, Zoe sighed and closed her eyes. What occurred to Gasparri in that moment watching her was that he was her only person. He felt a fathomless guilt. So just even when Gasparri was trying to do the right thing and save someone, Olive Lewin, from Mm -hmm. that plague death or pandemic, he was unwittingly just sacrificing someone else, mm-hmm. Zoe, by leaving her alone without any family. 
I know. And it's just, it was such a simple and just clear way of kind of showing the opportunity cost of living as a person in this world, of just protecting the humanity and life, what it means to be kind and to be present. And I feel like it's not the only time that Hillary St. John's does this in the book. And it just, it made me tear up, honestly, when that moment happened. Because I, know, I was Zoe. just like, oh, man. Yeah, and Zoe was just such a good character. I did. I wish that we could have gotten more from her. And I just actually loved that when they were talking about their mom and how much they yeah. loved her mom and how much they, you know, and then Gasberry loving the mom, but not really being able to relate to her on the same level. Yeah. Um, just like how they took care of her when she was like yeah, in her old age. Right. Yeah. It felt like a very realistic sibling relationship yeah, to yeah. me. I think that anyone who has a sibling will kind of understand. Yeah. That one person, one sibling usually does take on that caretaker role very much so yeah. and really falls into it. Yeah. And becomes like the responsible sibling mm-hmm. that just feels responsible for the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. not just for the parents, but for the other sibling mm-hmm. and just that sense of responsibility is so it's so obvious and it's so glaring in Zoe and you can like you can see it as kind mm-hmm. of a weight on her shoulders just yes. she's not only responsible for herself but for Gasparri as well and yeah. I always I thought and this is me again with the futurism I thought that Zoe in the future would have like um either an avatar or like a bot relationship with her mom and like continue it going, like have it in her phone. Yeah. And like be like talking. Like an AI type. Yes, with the mom. You know, it's not obviously it's not the mom, but she just had programmed like videos and like things about her and like she would be to keep talking about her. I was like, oh, that another missed opportunity for futurism. But I would have thought that would have been a cool thing to explore. You know, how death works in the future, especially as... AI is progressing, like making, keeping loved ones alive using like chatbots. Yeah. I feel Uh, like that's something that Elon would unfortunately do. Yeah. But maybe like like, that's part of the, I feel like that's part of the book too. It's just like no matter what time you're at, like death is death. Mm -hmm. You know, like when someone goes, they just go. Right. But like how you handle it can progress. Yeah. And you could have this weird, like, oh, are you are you talking to that chatbot? And, you know, Gasberry trying to reconcile his sister, like, not letting go. Mm. Part two. Part two of <laughs> Tranquility. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Goodreads. I mean, I don't feel good about it, Claire. I don't feel good about it. I'll say that. The rating for this book is 4.13. Yeah, these are all Cloud Atlas people being haters. I just, I fear for the state of literacy in this country, Claire, because to me, to me, this book is a work of art. I 100% gave it five stars. I would do it again. I would do it again every single day. I would give it five stars. It's the rating it deserves. And it baffles me. It baffles me. It offends me. That is 4.13. I know. That is so close to four. I know. So far from five. I know. I did give it a four. I know. <laughs> I, just because I'm another Cloud Atlas purist. And I was like, oh, it's just so close. Having read the first one. And it's funny, though, because I have kind of forgot about that book until I started reading this one. And I was like, I've read this before. I know I have, especially the opening. It's like exactly the same. And then, unfortunately... They shouldn't have positioned this book as so futuristic, knowing that there's other books out there who do the same thing, but really tackle the futurism. They should have just made it like this is a 
beautiful novel about relationships. So that's why I gave it a four. But I still really like this book. I don't have any, I don't have anything that I'm like, oh, that was awful. Yeah. About it. Other than I do wish that she had just went just one step further with a futurism and had one like futuristic relationship that doesn't exist right now. Like whether it's with like a bot or like a parasocial kind of thing. But that's like not what it was. I don't think that was the intention at all. Like I don't think she wanted to bring in more technology than she did. She being Uh, the author. And you know what? Like she wanted to focus on just, okay, how do our relationships now, how would our relationships now be impacted if like the world changed completely by like whatever, having colonies on the moon or by having... Right. But I do think that would fundamentally change the way then that you communicate. I mean, like, she went, like, back and forth from Earth to the moon seamlessly. Like, yeah. what would that have... Lo- that? I mean, but maybe that's the point. Like, we go from na- from here to, like, you know, China seamlessly. But that's not a different strat atmosphere. But a like. hundred years ago, it probably felt like it. Yeah. And what has changed about our relationships? Right. But I do feel like 100 years ago, if they were like, I'm going to write a book about like 2020, they would have come up with like some type of transportation that felt crazy in the past. Like, I just felt like she did not, she was not very imaginative with what the world would look like in 2400, other than what I felt very pedestrian. Like, we live in a glass dome on the moon. Yeah. Which we've all, you know, it's very just the Jetsons. I love that show. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's good. But what comes next? You know, what do our devices really look like? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's just like, okay, what are we asking from the book? And I feel like we are asking for different things. So I was satisfied with what she gave us. But you wanted more futurism. Right. If we're going to say, okay, this book takes place in the 1800s, then the present, then you know, 2200, then 2400, then I want something like what is different about life? It felt very much exactly the same. But then the past didn't feel the same, though. It felt like we were in the past. Yeah. And then in the because even she changed the language ever so slightly when she was like, but then in the future, it was like, oh, no, it's exactly the same. We still have like the same handheld devices. We still are like have, I guess, driverless cars. Was that one of the... Th- that was one of the things. One of the things. Elon succeeded. Yes. Unfortunately. So I was like, but that, I mean, that was my my big only complaint. That's okay. why I deducted a star. Okay, so there weren't enough bots and AI and parasocial relationships Mm-mm. in Sea of, sea of tranquility. tranquility. But speaking of parasocial relationships... You can leave us a five-star review telling us <laughs> how much you're obsessed <laughs> with this podcast we would just not be super upset if you were to develop a parasocial relationship with the apple review button and -hmm. give us if you'd be so 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 kind a five-star review hit that five just a couple of words like i would not like clara would not four stars not four (laughs) channel clara's energy and leave the the five okay and other than that where can people find us claire so if you want more about the podcast you can follow us at one more chapter pod we are on instagram we are on tiktok Mm -hmm. and then you can find me personally at clarabelle cwb and clara where can people find you you can find me at color me loverly woo yay 